Our scripture passage this morning is found in 1 Corinthians 13, the first seven verses. I invite you to join with me by standing either in heart or in body as we hear these words from the book that we love. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all, all I possess to the poor and give my body to the hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. God's very word. Thanks be to God, and you may be seated. Whether it is getting fast food, grabbing a cup of coffee, or going to the bank, drive throughs can feel really, really long. They're supposed to be the fastest way embedded to do these kind of transactions, but because of grumpy customers in their cars, employees have been specially trained with a script of what to say when someone comes by. How are you today? No problem. Take your time. That's great to hear. And so the script goes. I especially like interacting with tellers or with clerks after I've had a certain scan. You know that scan when they walk into the room with a lead box and they pull out a lead syringe and they poke you so that when you have this scan, if there's something not so right, it kind of glows. I kind of like the days of that scan because then I like to go to clerks. I like to go to stores and they say, has anything, anything new with your day? Oh yes, I'm radioactive. But I'm safe, but I'm still radioactive today. When you go through drive-through or go to a clerk, and the things they say, they're not really trying to build a friendship, are they? There's no room for that in a drive-through society. Employees are taught a script in order to keep customers somewhat happy so they will want to come back like a Walmart greeter wherever you go. Churches are supposed to be friendly too, right? But friendliness done in a hurry does not provide good ground for being a friend. Because we expect friendliness wherever we go and whoever we meet. So when church offers friendliness, what's to keep people from thinking, it's just a script? 
is just something that they have been taught to say. These past few Sundays, we've been looking at a second part of our revisioning process, and that is the two words, follow intentionally. I've added a third word for this series of talks that goes follow intentionally together. Because it moves us beyond friendliness to something that's supposed to be truly unique about those who have been changed by Jesus Christ, and it is the word love. Didn't our Savior say, by this everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. I think we would all agree that love is much deeper than simply copying customer service. It should be our distinguishing characteristics of those who have been changed by the love of Jesus Christ. So let's reflect on that love as we find it in 1 Corinthians 13. It was written by the great apostle. And the apostle saw his role as making mature disciples. He says in multiple places, but including Colossians 3, so that you can be fully mature in Christ. And in order to have followers be fully mature in Christ, the apostle deals a lot with immaturity, which ends up being rude relationships. If we would be someone like Eugene Peterson and want to write a paraphrase of many of the apostles' epistles, we could probably insert every once in a while in the epistles, come on, guys, stop being jerks. Wise up. Because what he has to say often has to do with how people treat one another. In Corinthians, for example, there are splintering groups. There was jealousy. There were people who were simply being permissive with immorality. They were suing each other in court. They would gather together for meals, and some people would overeat, while others were hungry and had nothing to bring to the feast. And the apostle, he, he loved the church. So he moved beyond customer service because something was missing. So as we come to chapter 13, the apostle describes some spiritual behaviors that the Corinthians had seen as utterly and most important. Having spiritual gifts. Having impressive abilities. Having intellectual capabilities. To them, these were most important. But these spiritual traits or behaviors were worthless, divorced from love. Why does the apostle double down on love in chapter 13? Why does he use some of his strongest language possible when we come to chapter 13? Well, before we delve into it, let's just think for a little bit about today's church. Our church doesn't have a lot of compelling programs, though some ministries do seem to shine. I'm an okay speaker. I'm fine. But I don't hold a candle to my colleagues who 
are also in the Cutlerville area. But we say it's okay to show up without a smile on your face here. You can do that. It's okay to leave the mask at home and share what's going on in your life because customer service is not a script we are trained in. For without true love, we are nothing. So today, like the church in Corinth, the marks of discipleship is not just the things that we know and the intellectual capabilities that we can use to serve one another, but it must include at least as high a priority, love. Earlier in 1 Corinthians 3, we read this from the Apostle. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? Come on, guys. Get it together. And so when we get to 1 Corinthians 13, he moves them and us towards love. True love. True love is something you know you've got when you feel it inside, right? I love the saying that Piglet gets back from Pooh Bear when Piglet asks Pooh Bear the question, Pooh, how do you spell love? And Pooh Bear responds back, you don't spell love, Piglet. You feel it. I've got a picture frame in my bedroom with that saying on it, with me and the picture of a little person very special. You know love. You don't spell it. We know that. We also know that real love goes beyond affectionate feelings, beyond friendly words, beyond best wishes. We might say that we love someone because they make us happy. There's something that they have, some characteristic or something they do that gives us happy feelings. But when the feelings fade, far too often, unfortunately, the spouse says, I just don't love them anymore. How sad. What happens when when you love someone and they let you down? What happens when that person you love stops being all that you hope they would be or doesn't meet your expectation? Can you move beyond feeling to a love that is cross-shaped, a love that is talked about here in 1 Corinthians 13? That word love gets used in a lot of different ways and a lot of meanings. And we can often lose track of that. 
there are some great books that are out that some of us have come to know that there are basically in the New Testament four words that are used that are translated love. There is a brother's love. There is romantic love. There is a family love. And then there is this love that is called agape, a giving love, a sacrificial love. The way that true spouses are supposed to treat one another. The way that Christians are supposed to treat not just each other, but everyone. The Bible is clear that God doesn't love us because we give him happy feelings. His love for us involves loving us even when we are at our worst. He never fails to love us. And so when it comes to loving others, it goes mere, more than simply mere feelings, right? Just as God poured his love into us when we were at our worst, and not just a one-time deposit, but over and over again, our love goes beyond to a cross-shaped love. Even when people let us down, when people disappoint us. Jesus showed this agape love when he knocked the sword out of Peter's hands, when he spoke tenderly to the thief who was beside him, the love that led him to the cross to die in our place and for our sin. I got that term, uh, a cross-shaped love, from a pastor by the name of Calvin Teemer. We've probably heard it somewhere else, but that's where I got it from. A love that glorifies God in the things that we do and serves our sisters and brothers in the way that we respond. It's a love that honors God and serves others. Agape love that doesn't talk about the things that are important to me, but the things that are important to you. And then in another letter by the great apostle to the Romans, in chapter 12, verse 9, he takes that love even deeper. He says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. That word sincere or genuine in some translations means without hypocrisy. Now back in the first century, a hypocrite was an actor. They didn't call them actors, they call them hypocrites. Someone who was pretending to be someone that they were not. And he's saying true love is not an act. It is seen in our actions. Sometimes in our actions to hate, but never to hate a person, but to hate that thing that is hurting a person. Now, my doctors hate cancer. They hate it with a passion. Why? Because it destroys things, people, that they have grown to love. So they hate cancer. And if left unchecked, cancer will destroy those people. 
Just like if evil is left unchecked in a person's life, it will destroy them. People often think that sin and evil are a fun thing to dabble in, but evil and sin have something in their intention, and that is to destroy people. So true love does not affirm evil. It does not affirm sin because it seeks to destroy that person. So true love is worth fighting for. True love really is worth fighting for. We often think about fighting love in terms of a couple of lovebirds. And, and they might get mad and they uh, kind of split for a while or he goes home and someone tries to knock some sense into someone and say, hey, dude, stop being such a jerk. Fight for her. Go back and fight for her love. And if they have any common sense, they will. And the church in the same way is to fight for the ones we love to fight on their behalf. There was a time years and years ago when we were in a small group, and there was someone in our small group who uh, didn't always attend as frequently as the rest of our members because this person had something going on. The rest of the people in our small group, unfortunately, wanted to let that person just slide away, except Renee. Renee fought. She fought for this person. She went after this person. She wouldn't leave this person alone until that person started coming back more faithfully and showing love. As they say in The Wizard of Oz, ignore the person behind the curtain. <laughs> Music is flying away. People might take care of it, and that's fine. But true love fights. It fights for the ones they love. Just as Jesus fought for us. I've come up rather quickly with just eight simple examples of how Jesus genuinely loved his disciples. Jesus invested a lot of time in his disciples. It wasn't a drive-through relationship. Jesus was patient with his disciples. Jesus upheld the teachings of his Father with his disciples. Jesus forgave his disciples, especially when they hurt him. Jesus initiated reconciliation with his disciple, with Peter on the beach. Jesus opened himself up to vulnerability with his disciples like he did at Gethsemane. Jesus rebuked his disciples when they needed it. And Jesus died on the cross for his disciples. Disciples past, disciples present, disciples future. The cross, the ultimate example of genuine agape love. How could the Father allow this? How could the Father allow such pain and suffering of his Son to experience hell on the cross? 
Jesus experienced that so we would never have to. And that's true love. So that at times, even when we, when we would turn our back on the Father, when we would thumb our nose at the Father, and we would live openly defiant of the Father, the things that we deserved, Jesus got. And he bore so that we would receive the good gifts of grace and forgiveness and love. It says in Isaiah 49, we are engraved on the palms of his hands. Never to be forgotten. Never to be forsaken. Always to be forgiven and to live a new, abundant life. I invite you to join with me in prayer. Father God, how we love you as best as we know how. For all that you are and all that you have done for us. You deserve our praise and our worship and our love just for who you are. Great, awesome, omnipotent, all-knowing, God above gods and Lord above lords. And yet we can add to that, not just for who you are, but for what you do. That you love us, that you care for us, you never turn your back on us that you have engraved us on the palms of your hand. And so, Father God, as best as we know how, we offer our love to you. Forgive us, we pray, of those times that your Spirit brings to our mind, the times we have not loved you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, or a neighbor as ourselves. We offer those things up to you for your grace and your mercy to come and wash them away, to make us clean and upright before you, not because we deserve it, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Help us, Father God, to love you more and to love our neighbors more. We pray that this cross-shaped love would be seen in all that we do and say and act. We lift up those who are in need of your love. We continue to pray for Pam and we give you thanks that she is in a, a good place in a new home and pray that you will help her needs to continue to be met we thank you that Joe is in a safe and secure place and David as well. And we pray, Lord, that you will watch over their souls and their hearts as they go through this change, this big change. And we pray that you'll help them to experience your love, that they can stay connected and to experience the love that they have for each other. We pray that you will bless them and care for them. We pray for those who are having difficulty at work. 
Father, we lift them up that they might find your grace and your goodness sufficient to help them carry them through, to find evidences of your love in the corners that they weren't expecting it. We pray for those who are having difficulty with their families at home, those who are going through very difficult times. Father, we lift them to you. We pray, Lord, that your grace and your love would flow over them, over their hearts and their souls and their minds. And Father, as easy as it is to want to lash out in anger, we pray that your love would win and your grace would win. We lift up these families. We pray, Lord, that you will bring your reconciliation and your healing there. We continue to pray for the Janusma family, that your presence would be strong in the midst of the health battle of Sid's dad. We pray, Lord, for Ken's family and friends, and especially for his friend Jim, who is not feeling well, that you will provide for them. Father God, we pray for our school year, for those who have started, for those who are about to, for students and teachers and parents and administrators. We offer them to you. We pray, Lord, that you would bless them, that you would strengthen them, you would give them wisdom from on high and provide them opportunity to share, to receive, to talk, to point out, to demonstrate your true love. We pray today and this week for our neighbors on Coleman. We pray that you will bless them richly and that they would know that this blessing of this week comes from you. We lift up our missionary partner, ASJ. We pray that you will bless them as they bring justice not only to Honduras, but to other regions and countries where you have given them impact in a voice. Protect their leaders. Protect the work that they do from harm, and danger, and evil. We pray, Father God, that you be with us this week. We pray that you will surround us with your true love and that we might demonstrate it to your glory and to our neighbor's good. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone agreed and said, Amen.